0: Welcome to The Voice of Conservative Values with Daniel Bobinski of True Idaho News and Uncover DC, brought to you by ConservativesOf.com. And now, here's Daniel. Hello and welcome to The Voice of Conservative Values. My name is Daniel Bobinski, and for the next half an hour, we'll be discussing some of the issues facing America, and doing so from a conservative's perspective. If you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know that I define conservatism as uh, people who wish to conserve the values that our founders held when they created our country. Because without those values, our country really can't operate as it was designed. And regular listeners know that I quote John Adams quite a bit on this show, and I probably ought to make it the show's theme that our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. So the show is about conservative principles, not a political party. And as you've heard me say in the past, that I am not the voice of conservative values. I am a voice of conservative values. Uh, The guests that I bring on this show are also conservative voices. And today we have a special guest with us, a man who I've had the honor to get to know over the past year. Uh, But before I introduce him, let me set this up a little bit. Last July, I wrote an article for UncoverDC.com titled, A Scientific Look at the Mask Fallacy. And that article really caught fire. About a week after it came out, I get a call from a guy saying that Alan Keyes wants to interview me. And I'm like, Alan Keyes wants to interview me? I should be interviewing Alan Keyes. But the next thing you know, I'm being interviewed on Alan's Let's Talk America show. And it turns out that Alan and I both share a lot of uh, principles in common. And over the past year, uh, Alan and I have had many talks, great talks, uh, conversations that have definitely sharpened my thinking. And I've been a regular guest on his show for the past year. And now it is my distinct honor and pleasure to welcome to my show, Ambassador Alan Keyes. Alan, welcome to the Voice of Conservative Values.
1: Thank you, Dan. It's great to be on with you.
0: Alan, as a little bit of background for those who may not know your background, you studied political philosophy at Cornell, and then you earned your PhD in government affairs from Harvard. And your dissertation and your bio it says that you wrote your dissertation on Alexander Hamilton and constitutional theory. Mm. Could you tell us why you chose that topic?
1: Well, I, I chose the topic because it was in line with all the studying I had been done. I thought I was of two minds, whether to write about one of the philosophers like Locke or Hobbes or these folks uh, who had contributed to the thinking that went into the founding, or the Scottish Enlightenment people who did the same. Uh, But as I got more interested in the founders themselves, the people who actually attended, uh, for example, the, the Continental Congress that declared our independence, the Constitutional Convention later on, I got interested in those figures because uh, as I learned more about them, it seemed to me just people had learned something from somebody else. They were applying it in a very unique way uh, to what I think they recognized as the unique opportunity uh, that America offered. Hmm. Uh, And uh, so, and and among them, perhaps the most intriguing uh, to me was Alexander Hamilton. He was, uh, and this might have had something to do with it, he was among the youngest, right? Uh, they were, uh, by and large, uh, a youngish kind of crowd, right, with uh, a number of the leading founders were people in their late 20s and 30s. And, uh, and I think that, uh, but they were also uh, educated, uh, m- most of them, uh, I think, uh, sincerely committed to uh, the Christian understanding of the world, and those who were not, nonetheless, recognized that it was the ethos of their time. Um, and so I wanted to uh, get a better understanding. Uh, of how they were thinking as they put into place uh, what turned out to be, I think, uh, a unique effort uh, to establish a government of, by, and for the people that would really operate as that. Mm. Uh, And um, that's how come I uh, wrote about Hamilton. And he also, by the way, was one of those people who posed something I was very interested in and still am, which is the challenge of ambition. Because I think the ambition of the outstanding people is often what leads society into trouble uh, and what has resulted in governments that were mostly tyrannical in the course of human history.
0: Are you saying that, that um, Hamilton had ambition?
1: Well, we're right. I, they all did. But he was, I think, uh, one of those people. He came from a background that wasn't particularly... Uh, aristocratic, so that meant uh, he had to be an extraordinary individual, which he was, outstanding in intelligence, well-read at the end of the day, uh, articulate, uh, thoughtful, uh, but he also had a bent of mind uh, that I think uh, was in many ways unique. He had a, he had a clarity um, in, in terms of not being willing to accept things simply because they were given. Uh, He was somebody who would uh, kind of wrestle with things until he had torn them down and built them back up again uh, in such a way that he really understood what was at work. And I think you see that kind of influence going on. He wasn't the only one, I think. Um, You had a number of people who were just, I think, outstanding in human history. And that's what a lot of these people running at the country today realize. And they know that if they can cut us off, from that unique moment of our founding, uh, we will, in effect, be cut off from what was, in many ways, uh, the wellspring of truth uh, that the country was founded on.
0: Hmm. So you, you study Hamilton, constitutional theory, uh, you join the, state, the Department of State, uh, and you get assigned to the consulate in India, then mm-hmm. you get assigned to the embassy in Zimbabwe, and well, then, well I,
1: I was actually on the Zimbabwe desk when I, I was in India, in Bombay, as a consular officer. Then I went back to the State Department, was working on the Botswana, Lesotho, and Swaziland, which are three countries in Southern Africa, uh, and then also assigned as assistant desk officer uh, for Zimbabwe. That was my first kind of bureaucratic chore.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and, and then... Eventually, you end up as an ambassador to the United Nations uh, on the Economic and Social Council, appointed by Ronald Reagan. Could you explain how that happened?
1: Well, and and that kind of speedily, too. I mean, usually to become an ambassador would take you at least 20 years or so, 15 or 20 at least, uh, and and so forth. But because of the nature of the political circumstances, uh, when I got back from my tour of duty in Bombay, uh, that was during... Uh, the nineteen uh, the combination of the nineteen eighty election, right? And so when that uh, election was over, Ronald Reagan came into office, uh, and I was already by that time somebody who was conservative in bent and had friends and so forth. And guess what? A lot of the friends who were not part of government uh, that I had met when I was doing my studies in college and so forth—they were coming into government. <laughs> And one of them was Paul Wolfowitz, who took over the policy planning staff uh, under Reagan at the State Department, and he asked me to uh, join the policy planning staff and, and uh, look at African affairs, which got me involved in a lot of interesting stuff, because I worked with Chet Crocker uh, on the effort to uh, deal with the problems in Southern Africa, including apartheid, Namibia, all, all kinds of things. Um, and so um, that got me started. And my appointment came about because Paul Wolfowitz and Jean Kirkpatrick were good friends, and she was the ambassador to the United Nations. And at one point, there were changes going on. Paul was leaving uh, the policy planning staff. Uh, Jean had lost somebody who was going to another job uh, from the mission in New York, and and, uh, they were sitting at um, one of these uh, security NSC meetings, I guess, and um, she asked, uh, you know, whether he had anybody good for, you know, for, um, no, actually she asked about me in specific and whether he thought I would, you know, be a good fit for ambassador to the Economic and Social Council. It might have been easy when, when, she, when he said yes and she thought it was a good idea. She proposed it to Reagan. He was uh, willing to go uh, along with it, of course. And, um, and then we got a big fight from the career people in the State Department. So uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, for the appointment to go through, I had to resign from the Foreign Service in order to accept the appointment.
0: Wow. Yeah, politics. Mm.
1: Well, in a way, though, don't it was kind of fitting because I'd thought about it and thought through a career path. I thought I'd spend most of my time abroad, to tell you the truth. Uh, in different places, but uh, who who would be foolish enough to, you know, let go an opportunity uh, like that? But on the other hand, from the point of view of the department, uh, you, I guess, don't want to be encouraging uh, what in the old days were called jumped-up generals, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) On a political basis. We do that more these days uh, Mm -hmm. than they did then, and I think it's actually not a healthy thing, necessarily.
0: So, so, after your... um Run with the uh, in the United Nations. You get out, and what people say here, like it, like I tell people that I'm on your show, and people's eyes light up. They're, Alan Keyes, I voted for Alan Keyes when he ran for president, and you ran for president several times. Tell us what the motivation was for that.
1: Uh, well, my initial motivation in '96 was really quite simple. Um, I uh, was reading and seeing a lot of things in the run-up to the '96 election uh, that suggested that leadership in the Republican Party was thinking that the best way to win elections was to back off of uh, the party's commitment on issues like abortion Um, and and my studies and and, uh, my faith combined uh, to impose on me, really, intellectually, an understanding that I've kept to this day. Uh, if you abandon the moral premises of this country, it will disintegrate. Mm. It cannot hold together. There's no other basis for us to call ourselves a nation than the basis that the founders provided, which is not a vocation as this or that particular nation. We're, we're, in fact, if anybody wants to look around and notice, we're a nation of nations, meaning to say we have people here of every race, color, creed, kind, background, and nationality. I bet on the face of the earth. And what holds us all together is not what usually holds such nations together. Uh, It's a common understanding of justice for all humanity. Mm. And if you let go that understanding, which, of course, I think you do when you start killing innocent children in the womb and embracing an understanding that destroys the basis uh, for family life and marriage, uh, you're killing the country. And, And I think if you look at what's happening, that's exactly what's going on right now.
0: Oh, I'd say that would be a, a concerted effort by certain groups. In fact, uh, that is one of the topics that I wanted to talk with you about is kind of the denial of evidence that we're seeing in our media and in our political circles and even the uh, what I'll call the medical-industrial complex that are they're denying evidence. It's clearly obvious to, to a well-reasoned, thoughtful person who does reading and, and looks at the data But they're saying that, you know, like uh, critical race theory is all over the news these days. Mm -hmm. And here in Idaho, our state board of education says this doesn't exist. This is all a bunch of lies and concocted tales Mm -hmm. uh, to try to institute some conservative agenda. Um, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts regarding uh, the gaslighting or the denial of evidence like that?
1: Well, I have to say that it's partly a reflection of the fact that in the course of the last 30 years, uh, we've seen a takeover of our institutions, especially of education, uh, by leftist forces, calling themselves variously, you know, Marxist, Leninist, Maoists, this, that, and the other, isms, uh, democratic, socialist, I don't care. Uh, but uh, what people don't seem to realize is that you cannot be a person who adopts that persuasion and swear a sincere oath to uphold, protect, and defend the Constitution, because the two things are diametrically opposed. And since they believe that uh, human justice is an outcome of the dialectic of history, right, uh, which is to say of struggle, and that struggle is a material struggle to see who gets the most power, Uh, And if that's what there is to government, as I think is accurately portrayed in most of human history, that's what there was to government, um, then it doesn't really matter what the facts are. What facts are is over there somewhere. Uh, But what they care about is what facts they can create by organizing power in such a way as to destroy their enemies. Right? Their opponents. Uh, It's all about to be quite frank about it, different forms of warfare. That's all it's about. Uh, and though they talk a lot about just Marx, you know, he's always you know, fulminating as if he really cares about the proletariat and so forth. Uh, when, if you understand what's actually at work in his philosophy, he doesn't. A uh, good example. If you take their view, then before you can make a judgment morally about right, wrong, and so forth and so on, you have to see how history turns out, don't you? Mm. Be- because whatever is produced by history, that's what you've got to work with. Uh, and so you want to be somebody who, having adopted this understanding, can work well in a very Machiavellian way with the forces available to make sure your truth, you notice they use that a lot now, your mm. truth, my mm-hmm. truth, your truth prevails because there is no truth. There's just what happens. And as I often say to people, if that becomes your rubric for moral understanding, then when you see Hitler and learn about how Hitler is killing, uh, you know, say millions of people in ovens because they're Jewish, yes? You don't say, that's evil. You say, well, let's see how that turns out. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? Because you have to wait on the outcome.
0: There are are people out there who actually believe and teach that Hitler was was killing people and doing them a favor by doing so because their karma wasn't right or they needed to come back and do something else, but they hadn't made it up Maslow's hierarchy enough. And he was basically helping them.
1: Well, see, I think the problem is that once you have discarded the possibility that there is a standard that transcends what happens, which is to say a standard beyond history and, the dialectic of history and the happenings and outcomes of history. Uh, Once you abandon the the, the notion that there is such a standard, then your moral judgments are actually all about whims, passionate whims and fantasies. Uh, it, It turns out, therefore, that in addition to everything else, you abandon science. And we're noticing that, finally. I used to say that years and years ago, but it was harder then to find evidence that these people were actually not scientific materialists because they were going to abandon science. Uh, and lo and behold, in the present time, the whole discussion of LBGTQ, transgender, this, isn't that, it's all about how you're not what the laws of nature and of nature's God made you. You're whatever gives you the greatest gratification and satisfaction and pleasure and so forth and so on, and that's all that matters because you then become uh, according to this understanding uh, the rubric on which one is to base it, uh, base the judgment about what's true and what's not true mm-hmm. uh, you're ever you're whatever you think you are now here's the problem if you're whatever you think you are and somebody else happens to strongly believe that being that violates the will and law of god is it right for the government to force them to respect your choice of fantasy? We're stepping away from the ground of the laws of nature and of nature's God, a, a, a rubric that has something to do with a standard of rational truth, right? Mm-hmm. And we're, we're allowing these people to force us into a position where there is no standard of truth. And if there is no standard of truth, there is only victory or defeat. And, and all, that's all that
0: matters. And, and that is, that's what they're about. They're all about power and how much power they mm-hmm. can get because might makes right. Amen. If they, are, if they can have the power, then they are quote-unquote right. By the way, if you're just tuning in, we are talking with Dr. Alan Keyes, former ambassador, former presidential candidate, and host of the talk show I Am—I'm sorry, Let's Talk America on I Am TV, independent American media television, um, Alan, and thank you, by the way, for joining us today. We are um, looking at some of the issues facing the, the the political grandstanding on the national stage with Nancy Pelosi and those kind of things, doing just what you were just describing um making up their own rules changing things standing up so confidently and denying the facts we've been talking about gaslighting denying evidence Mm -hmm. um when you don't and this has to do with worldview and this has to do with that quote from john adams that i gave at the top of the show our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people wholly inadequate to the government of any other uh if you don't have that judeo-christian worldview then you don't believe that there is a righteous relational ruler who we call God, and if you don't believe that, then in essence you're saying, you are God.
1: Well, see, I think part of it is, Daniel, that whether people want to admit it or not, as human beings, we're kind of in a situation where uh, we have to take a lot of stuff for granted because we didn't bring it into existence. The, The world in which we live is not of our making, we know that. We may be able more and more to understand some of what's going on in it, uh, but since you know that you didn't make it, right, then you have a choice. How are you going to understand how it got here? How are you going to understand not only how it got here, but how it got here in a way that can actually be rationally understood by you? And when rationally understood, that allows you to do things that you wouldn't be able to do if you didn't understand how it worked, right? Mm. Uh, Meaning science and all that goes along with it. Uh, So, in a sense, the assumption that there is God is simply the assumption that has to be made, whether we're making it openly or not, that since we didn't make this, it had to be made somehow by some being. Uh, And the question then becomes, you know, what do you think and who do you think that being was? Uh, And when... Uh, a big atheist, uh, Stephen Hawking, a guy put him uh, in an interview, put the question to him uh, about the Big Bang, right? And they got into a back and forth about it. And every time he would ask a question, um, um, uh, uh, Hawking would take us another step back and another step back and another step back. He finally, uh, the, the guy looked at him and said, Well, what are you saying? Uh, um, uh, you know, how are we to understand uh, how all of this that, that we are seeing and learning about the universe uh, came into existence. And Hawking's answer was basically the universe created itself. Hmm. And I always chuckle when I remember that. Here's a big atheist who just gave a pissy description of God, the being who basically in and of itself created the universe. Hello? Mm-hmm. With all the aspects that we have. But he denied the existence of God. This is crazy. You can't exactly deny it because you've got to take it for granted. Uh, it's why I think a lot of the stuff, even, even Darwin and these people, their theories, are all predicated on the notion that you look at something and figure out what a rational being would have been doing for things to come about in thus in such a way, right? So they must then have intelligence as an attribute of that being. And they must have purpose and intention as an attribute of that being, and so forth and so on. So they, they have to think in line with all of the suppositions uh, that allow us to work with the universe that we didn't make in order to understand how it works, right? And then they deny that that being exists.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's just silly. I think it's silly. Yeah. And, and it ought to be transparent that it's silly, <laughs> that, that you're just deluding yourself. But then again, human
0: beings do like to delude themselves. Yes, so they do. do. Yes, they do. <laughs> well, what what you're talking about is the righteous like I said, the righteous relational ruler, mm. and all three aspects are present in the God of the Bible. Mm. Uh, those aspects of His character are not present in the God of the Quran. They're not present in the New Age uh, worldview that everything is God. Uh, we definitely have a an entity who is relational, who is righteous, and is the ruler. And those things are there. And as you're talking about science, I'm reminded uh, when I was studying about, you know, the, the early guys who were waking us all up, you know, uh, Copern- Copernicus and all about how, how the sun revolves around the earth instead of the opposite. Um, you know, they were getting people... Um, woken up to these things, and they were all believers. These, like like uh, Newton, these guys were believers. Mm-hmm. And, and they were using science to prove and understand God's creation.
1: Well, see, I think man, that part of that is because they were actually people who had some intellectual integrity and some, and some well, I guess you'd call it honesty uh, about what they could and could not uh, understand. Um, and, and as a result, uh, they were uh, willing to acknowledge that in order to think certain things through, you had to take the position of the being who actually put them in place, made them to operate as they do, right? And then try to think through how, what that understanding looks like. So all these major breakthroughs were most of them made by people who were trying to think like God at the time. But how can you think like God if you don't assume that God is there? Mm. It doesn't make any sense.
0: Mm-mm. Well, we've got just about a minute left, um, and Dr. Keys, I just want to say it's been an honor and a pleasure to have you on the show and perhaps we can have you back at some future. But in just a few seconds, um, do you have anything to say that we should be looking forward to in in trying to write this country? I know it's a a heavy question with just a minute left.
1: Well, uh, the most important thing we need to do if we're to write the country is to get back to the Declaration of Independence, understand what it actually implies, and realize. If we let go the assumption of God-endowed unalienable rights, then all the things we regard as rights and liberties will be erased. And we will be living under a tyranny dictated by whoever happens to put themselves in the most powerful position, condemning the world to uh, of who knows how long in which the perpetual war of all against all uh, continues to be the fate of humanity.
0: Mm-hmm. Amen. Well, it is my prayer that those who listen to this show um, are strengthened by the conversations that happen on this show. And and again, Alan, thank you for joining me. Um, And to the listening audience, uh, thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to The Voice of Conservative Values, and you can listen to Alan's show, Let's Talk America, on imtv.us, and that is live-streamed Monday through Friday from 11 to 3 Mountain Time. And of course, you can hear The Voice of Conservative Values here each Saturday morning on KBXL, uh, The Voice. If you want to hear any of our past shows, visit 941 thevoicecom Just check the archives for The Voice of Conservative Values. Alan, again, thank you for joining us. This is Daniel Bobinski. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, be blessed. Thank you for tuning in to The Voice of Conservative Values. If you'd like to support this broadcast and Conservatives of in the Treasure Valley, you can do so at conservativesof.com. Freedom can only be maintained by a prayerful, informed, vigilant, and engaged citizenry.